0: Hi, I'm Nicole, and my principal and I don't get along, not in the slightest. You know those people who are every teacher's pet, and whenever the principal would pass by them in the halls, the principal would only brighten up and smile and greet them like a normal person. (laughs) That wasn't me. See, Principal Collins hated me with a passion. He always called me a troublemaker, and he sent me to detention with the smallest excuse. But the truth is, I never caused any trouble at all. Whenever I'd get sent to his office, it was always because of the mean girls at our school, Jane, Mackenzie, and Rachel. I never stepped a toe out of line. I wanted to be invisible. I wanted to just blend in. But somehow, those three found it their lives' mission to pick on me. Once, they shared memes of me, warning everyone that I was a ghost haunting the school grounds. They even made movie posters of Ghostbusters with me as the ghost. And they made fun of me and shamed me in front of the whole school whenever possible. But every time, their pranks and bullying made a mess or I fought back. I was the only one the school punished. Jane, Mackenzie, and Rachel always walked away scot-free, and it made sense. They may be shallow, mean bullies, but they were also the school's top students. They even brought home trophies from several competitions they joined in the school's name. They were basically the school jocks, only really smart, really pretty, and really evil. It was when Mackenzie was making fun of me at the cafeteria that my fortunes finally changed. Look, everyone, the sun's shining so bright today. Watch out, vamp girl. Don't get too close to the windows or you'll catch on fire. We don't want the cleaning lady to have to clean up your ashes or anything. Ha, 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 Of course, no matter how lame she was at her insults, The whole class still laughed with her. That was mainly what they ridiculed me for, how I was so pale. I don't know or understand why, but I've always been really pale. The sun basically didn't work on me. I tried everything. I sunbathed, but I'd only turn red. I went to tanning salons, but the tan just didn't stick. I tried lotions, supplements, even medical procedures, but it seemed... I was destined to be super pale. I wasn't even albino. I checked. That made it really difficult for me as a young girl, though. People always called me ghost or vamp or goth girl. They made jokes about me being the same shade as paper. They took videos of me whenever they'd see me out at night, and they'd post it all over, editing them and making me look even more ghostly than I actually did. That day in the cafeteria? I just snapped. Mackenzie, leave me alone, please. Oh, what are you going to do? Haunt my house? <laughs> Mackenzie, I'm asking you nicely. Please, Jane, Rachel, leave me alone. Or what? You're going to bite our necks? Are you going to cry, Nicole? boo You're going to cry to your mom and dad? They probably won't care because you're not even theirs. Nobody else in your family is that pale, Nicole. You're totally adopted. Mackenzie, if you don't leave me alone, I swear you're going to regret it. That was when Mackenzie stood on a chair and shouted to everyone in the cafeteria. She pulled at my hair while the other two girls held my arm so I couldn't move. I could feel her ripping some of my hair out as she moved her hand around making my head move like a puppet. Guys, listen up. We just found out that our resident ghost girl is adopted. I am not adopted. I kicked Mackenzie's chair and she fell right onto the table in front of her. The table broke and Mackenzie found herself on the floor covered with spaghetti and meatballs. That was the first time in the history of the school that people laughed at Mackenzie. She wasn't happy about it and the teachers who saw weren't either. They sent me to the principal's office. They didn't care that she started it. They didn't care that she literally pulled out my hair and I was just defending myself. All they cared about was that Mackenzie wouldn't sue them, and that she'd keep bringing home medals for the school. I knocked at Principal Collins' door, but there was no response. Just go inside and wait for Principal Collins. That was what his assistant told me but when I opened the door, I saw something that changed my life. Principal Collins was there, all right, but he was making out with the gym teacher, Miss Molly. And I may be wrong here, but if you're married with three kids like Principal Collins was, you weren't allowed to be having affairs with your coworkers. I simply smiled and said hello to Miss Molly, and she hurriedly fixed her hair and ran out of the principal's office. I sat down as calmly and as slowly as I could in front of Principal Collins' desk. What is it? Um, the teacher sent me here because Mackenzie pulled my hair and I kicked the chair she was on, which caused her to fall on and break a cafeteria table. That's fine. What? I'm sorry. Excuse me, sir? I said that's fine. Go back to your class. Really? Yes, on one condition. The thing you saw, um... Never talk about it to anyone? Yes, I saw my golden opportunity. I mean, I'd happily take detention for defending myself, Principal Collins. But what I saw, I mean, that would eat at my conscience, sir. I think I should go and- What do you want? Name it. Tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. I was in. Principal Collins paid me a $1,000 a week just to keep his secret. And whenever Mackenzie and her friends would harass me, I only needed to text him, and his voice would immediately boom over the school's speakers. Mackenzie, Jane, Rachel, in my office now. From that moment on, whatever I asked from Principal Collins, he gave it to me. He gave me extra credit. He even covered for me when I didn't want to go to school. Suddenly, the mean girls became my disciples. They would follow me around and ask me what I wanted, what I needed. I'd send them to fetch me snacks and drinks. I even told them to style my clothes so I'd look nicer. I don't know what our principal told them, but suddenly, they acted like my BFFs. That was when I met Connor. Connor was Mackenzie's ex-boyfriend, and their breakup was not a smooth one. But ever since Mackenzie stopped bullying me, Connor and I got to know each other. We had math together, so he always came to me to ask questions when he didn't understand the lesson. And we often hung out at my place after school so we could compare notes. Eventually, Connor became my boyfriend, and that really annoyed Mackenzie. Even though she knew she had no more power over me, she just couldn't accept that her ex was now my boyfriend. And so, she devised a plan, along with her girlfriend's, Mackenzie took Connor aside and told him a lie. They told him that I was having an affair with the principal, that the reason I never got in trouble anymore was because of it, and that if Principal Collins found out Connor was dating me, that he'd get in trouble as well. Of course, he believed it, because how could you ever distrust the three girls who'd been trying to ruin my life from the beginning? They lie and cheat whenever they want to get whatever they wanted. I only wanted to get a taste of how they lived, and I wanted to give them a taste of their own medicine. But if they were going to ruin my relationship and tell everyone disgusting things about me, then I was gonna fight back. You see, Connor told me a lot of Mackenzie and her friend's secrets, too. He told me a lot of things that Mackenzie was ashamed of. How they all cheated in some competitions to make sure they won. How Principal Collins was under Jane's dad's payroll, so he would literally cheat their grades for them. How Rachel was once caught stalking one of our teachers, but Mackenzie's dad took care of it so that the teacher was fired and Rachel never got sued. I wrote it all down in a book and I published it online. I made copies and distributed them in school. If they were going to start a nasty rumor about me, I was going to tell everyone the truth about them. I even put in there how Principal Collins was having an affair with one of the teachers. It was only right. I never wanted to keep it a secret anyway. Why, Nicole? Why would you write about my affair? I thought we had a deal. We did, Principal Collins. The deal was that I was going to get you back for every time you took Mackenzie, Jane, and Rachel's side just because you were scared of Jane's dad. The deal was that I was gonna tell your wife anyway. I just never told you that part of the deal. I just wanted revenge against the people who always made me out to be the bad guy. Mrs. Collins still deserved to know. After all, it would ruin three kids' lives if I didn't speak up about it. Connor and I got back together after everyone found out the truth. I didn't blame him for believing what Mackenzie said. After all, they were pretty good liars. They were so good, they convinced everyone at school that they were the good guys. But that was over. The trophies and medals they won were sent back. They cheated to win them, after all. They even found out how the girls sabotaged another team by giving them sandwiches with peanuts in them that caused one of the team members to get a bad rash and unable to compete because he had allergies. The girls got sued for that. And when they were convicted, the school expelled them. You really have to be careful what you do, because what goes around comes around. No matter how good you are at hiding the bad things you've done, it always comes out. And Principal Collins, he was fired. I quite like the replacement principal. Her name's Miss Hendricks, and she's tough but fair. At least now I can go through school knowing I can be myself pale, see-through skin and all, without people making fun of me anymore. Hello, my name is Pepper, and I have not
1: had any emotions since I was born. Probably many people would like to be in my place so as not to worry about their problems, but trust me, it's very difficult to live like this. When I was just born, no one could even think that something was wrong with me. Like all babies, I just cried and slept and asked for food. But only a year later, my parents began to notice that I was really different from other kids. For example, the daughter of my mother's friend was already smiling at my age when she saw her parents or her favorite toy and cried a lot when she was left alone. My reaction to everything was neutral and I only whimpered when I was in pain or wanted to eat. And the older I got, the more worried my parents got. They did not understand what was going on with me. When I was 4 years old, there occurred an incident that really puzzled them. As usual, I was running around the yard and playing when suddenly a neighbor's dog rushed towards me. It just broke off the leash and started barking loudly trying to bite me. When the dog was taken away, I did not start crying or at least even screaming. I just took my doll and began to comb its hair as if nothing had happened. My parents thought that I was just in a state of shock because of the extreme stress and immediately took me to the doctor. After long examinations, I was diagnosed with a terrible condition called alexithymia. When my mother began to cry, I did not understand what was happening to her. It turns out that with this disease, my emotions cannot overcome a block in the cerebral cortex. That's why I also cannot recognize other people's emotions. This can be compared to colorblindness, with which a person cannot distinguish colors at all. But in my case, these were not colors, but inner sensations. So I was growing up in an emotional vacuum. Various events were happening around me, but I remained as cold-blooded as a robot. When I went into the first grade, my beloved grandmother passed away, and even then I could not feel anything. It was sometimes very difficult for my parents to educate me and teach me something. At first glance, I might seem aloof and even feeble-minded, but in fact, my brain was not distracted by emotions, so I perceived any information faster than others. Also, my illness blocked fear as well. I could not feel anything negative, therefore I had nothing to be afraid of. For example, unlike other people, I went to the dentist without any hesitation. But because of this disease, my body is too sensitive to pain. Since the time when I was born, I had a very low pain tolerance, and even stomach cramps or a small bruise became a terrible endurance test for me. Once, I had a horrible headache when I was at school. An ordinary person could easily cope with such an ailment, but for me, this became a real nightmare. Because of the unbearable pain, I wasn't able to speak for some time and was about to faint. No one noticed that I felt really bad because I still looked calm. While remaining conscious with great difficulty, I began to hum and pinch my hand to make myself cry. It took several more minutes before the teacher realized that I wasn't feeling well. Apart from pain, there was another problem, that is, communication with peers. Since the first grade, I had no friends at all. Some of the kids were just bored to play with a cold-hearted girl, and many of them were even afraid of me. You know, it's very difficult to interact with a person when they have a soulless mask instead of a face. A distant look in my eye and complete indifference pushed all the people away from me. I would like to say that it made me upset, but I cannot. Although subconsciously, I felt attachment towards the closest people, but I could not express this in any way. However, the older I got, the easier it was for me to communicate with others. Yes, I still did not show any emotions, but I could act interested with whoever it was possible to discuss various topics. Also, thanks to my cold mind, I was able to solve many teenage problems. When for some reason people lost their friends or loved ones, they often said that they envied me and dreamed of getting rid of all of their emotions so that they would never feel mental pain again. I did not understand their wish because it's very difficult to live without emotions. I cannot be happy or feel sympathy for anyone and because of this, I have no friends, but I really wanted to share my secrets with someone as well, spend time together, and go to the movies. For many people, I was just an excellent advisor, but not a friend. But at some point, everything changed. After classes, I attended extracurricular Spanish lessons where I got acquainted with a new girl. Her name was Liz, and soon we started spending more time together. I felt comfortable when communicating with her because she would not ask about my illness like others did. Liz even taught me to smile realistically. You can't imagine how difficult it was to do this, but as a result, I could take a selfie with a charming smile. We also had a common hobby. We both loved to color in children's coloring books, and of course, we did not tell anyone about it. And one day, Liz noticed that I only used dark markers. I had to admit that these were the colors in which I saw the world around me. After several months had passed since we met, Liz invited me to her birthday party and I presented her cool headphones that she had dreamed of for a long time. Liz burst into tears and said that she had never had such a close friend. Even after hearing such warm words, I did not react to them in any way because I could not. She noticed this and tried to cheer me up. At home, for the rest of the evening, I tried to understand myself because my heart was beating faster than usual and my stomach was cramping because of tension. I've read that this is how the body responds to anger. Apparently, today's situation with Liz's confession and my indifferent reaction to her words evoked something like an emotion. My body was shaking and, for some reason, my health seriously deteriorated. For several days, I had not left the house, fearing that I would have that strange attack again. However, Liz soon persuaded me to take a short walk in our favorite park. There were always few people around, which we really liked. Liz suddenly stopped for a moment and then fell to the ground unconscious. My heart was beating fast and my body got tense, but I felt neither fear nor panic. I touched her hair and it was very hot. This was heatstroke. I dragged my friend into the shade, wetted her head with water from a bottle, and ran for help. Since I forgot my phone at home and Liz's phone was dead, I rushed to a young couple asking for help, but this looked like a stupid prank because there were no emotions on my face. I spoke in a calm and steady manner without any panic and tears, but the guy and the girl just laughed at me and began to look around searching for a hidden camera or any viewers. I couldn't even shout at them angrily, which made me powerless. Then I literally began to pull them towards Liz, but everything was in vain. Having run around half the park, I realized that I could not find help. After returning to my friend, I found that she was still unconscious. Suddenly, I felt dizzy. Everything went dark, and there appeared a painful lump in my throat. I felt worse every minute. I got down on my knees next to her, and tears were flowing down my cheeks, but my mind was still cold. Fortunately, a woman who was passing by noticed us and immediately called an ambulance. Doctors arrived quickly and took both of us to the hospital. I was immediately sent to a specialist who had been monitoring my condition since childhood. He was shocked by what he saw during an examination. The reaction of my body was caused by such a strong surge of emotions that they overcame the block. Everything that I experienced in the park, being next to Liz, was just a tiny part of what an ordinary person can feel. However, for me, it turned out to be a very serious blow. The doctor said that I should undergo treatment in order to better understand what was going on with me. Later, my parents came to the hospital. The doctor started telling them about a complex surgery that hypothetically could relieve the symptoms of alexithymia. But then I would get a severe emotional shock, and it is highly probable that it could lead to death. Of course, they were against it, although this outcome did not frighten me at all. The doctor also suggested a therapy with which the block could be slightly weakened, but the process itself was going to be incredibly difficult for me. The principle of the treatment was simple. It was supposed to evoke such strong feelings in me due to which emotions would gradually overcome the block in the cerebral cortex. All this was supposed to be accompanied by severe weakness and headaches. I realized that it would be hard and even painful, but agreed anyway. Every few days, doctors tried to evoke a variety of emotions in me, from incredible joy to terrible sadness, and this began to bear fruit. When my parents or Liz came to my ward, I felt a bit better, although I could not express this. As a result, after several months of treatment, I developed something like a mood, but this still cannot be called emotions. Now I am having a break between therapies, so I returned home. Liz advised me to start a blog for alexithymia patients and show by my own example that it is possible to fight such a disease. My friendship with her is even stronger now. She often comes to visit me with new coloring books, and I notice that I smile unintentionally when I see her, which gives me hope that soon I will become a normal person.
3: Kim and I were taken to school in our car as usual. When we got to our destination, the driver opened the door and the umbrella for me while leaving Kim struggling with a broken one. She (gasps) angrily threw the broken umbrella at me but the driver caught it just in time. Ugh, you'll pay for this, imposter! Hi, I'm Emily, 17 years old. I was born into poverty and lived with my single mom in a small town in Coventry. Life was difficult but I was happy to have a loving mom. But little had i known my life was about to take a drastic turn that morning Hmm? when i looked out the window i saw two scary men dressed in black approaching our house they exchanged urgent words with my mom and a moment later she suddenly (gasps) kicked my door wide open emily it's time i let you know the truth you're adopted your real dad has come to bring you home what (gasps) the hell i was adopted suddenly these two men spoke to me lady please follow us i was so scared that i wanted to run away but they easily picked me up and put me into the car in just a blink the car stopped in front of a large mansion oh my god could my real dad be the u.s president of course not but his profile was nothing short of amazing he's the chairman of the international woa electronic corporation when he saw me he rushed to hug me emotionally However, contrary to his happiness, there was a very annoyed girl standing right behind him. My dad released me and smiled. Ah, this is Kim, my other daughter. She's the girl who was swapped with you at the hospital. (gasps) It turned out that due to some negligence, Kim and I were mistakenly swapped after we were born. I was about to greet Kim, but she immediately (gasps) pushed me away. This is stupid. And left. (gasps) That was so rude. Well, she'll have to accept it whether she likes it or not. From now on, you two will stay together. What about mom? She was supposed to pick Kim up, but it's strange that I can't contact her anymore. It was (gasps) unbelievable that after my mom had received the money from my real dad, she suddenly disappeared without a trace. Having no choice, Kim and I stayed in two different rooms next to each other. Hmm. Dad often had to go to work, so there was just me and her at home. Kim was a very wasteful girl who never wore anything more than once. Seeing so many luxurious new clothes of hers in the trash, I decided to wash them myself and kindly put them on her bed. However, when she returned, she angrily threw those clothes at me. How dare you put trash on my bed! Are you crazy? I washed them for you. They're still new. Nobody asked you to. Take them then, you dirt poor maniac. Kim kicked me out of the room and slammed the door. How spoiled! She needed to be taught a lesson. The very next day when dad was handing me a credit card and telling me to buy the things I needed, Kim screamed at the top of her lungs. All of her credit cards had exceeded the limit and were temporarily locked. Dad, why did you lock my cards? How should I buy a present for Tim? For all those wondering, Tim is Kim's boyfriend. A good-for-nothing douchebag. I don't understand how she could fall for a guy like that though. I guess birds of a feather flock together. In addition, her obnoxious personality had made her super unpopular with the house staff. The way they treated me and her were completely different. Once I saw the maid purposefully not cleaning Kim's dishes and talk badly behind her back. Every morning, no one cared to polish Kim's shoes or open the umbrella for her when we got out of the car. That's why our relationship became even more strained. Kim hated me and thought that I was the reason she was treated so unfairly. I definitely won't let this slide. And unlucky for me, she kept her words. On the first day I attended the fencing class at my new school, I was confused and clumsy because I had never been exposed to such a sport. Even worse, Kim and I were set to be a pair. As soon as the instructor told us to start, Kim attacked me with ferocity. Wait, stop! I never fought with a saber! Then suffer, you dumbass! She slashed at me without missing a single shot. I was so angry that I threw my saber straight at her face, but she quickly avoided it. Unfortunately, it knocked our instructor's wig off and revealed his bald head. In the end, Kim and I had to stay behind to clean up the chemistry class as punishment. While cleaning the kit, she accidentally dropped the bottle of acid on the ground. Watch out! I lunged forward and quickly pushed him away. Just a bit later and we might have been seriously injured with acid. (gasps) Kim looked at me fearfully. We stayed silent on the way home that day while being covered in the awkward atmosphere in the car. That night I tossed and turned, unable to sleep because of the pain from the fencing practice. Ouch! You okay? To my surprise, Kim appeared in front of my door. Turns out she came to ask for the clothes I washed the other day. All oh, right, her cards were locked so she couldn't buy any new ones. I agreed to give them back and in return she helped me to put on the painkiller lotion. We talked a lot and slowly, she started opening up. Before you came here, dad was always busy and rarely stayed at home. I throw a tantrum sometimes just to get his attention. Having said that, Kim giggled and started telling me about her pranks in the past. As she was speaking, she suddenly fell silent and mumbled, Thank you for saving me this afternoon and sorry for these bruises. Unexpectedly, Kim was more sincere than I thought. Thanks to that, we gradually became closer. (laughs) The next few days, when Kim and I went to school, we saw Kim's boyfriend shamelessly flirting with another girl. Kim angrily confronted him, but that douchebag violently pushed her to the ground. Isn't it clear? I'm dumping you, stupid. Then suddenly, he put his arm around my shoulder and whispered, I heard you're the real daughter. You deserve a wonderful man like (gasps) me. What a big fat jerk! (gasps) I kneed him in the stomach and pulled him away. Not only that, I poured (laughs) super glue on his chair and later that day, he had to go to the restroom with the chair still stuck to his butt while everyone laughed at him. Serves him right! In the days that followed, I also shared some of my allowance with Kim and with the experience of a used to be broke ass, I taught her how to save and appreciate money more. We soon became besties. (laughs) However, even though life at the mansion was good, I still missed my mom dearly. One day when I came home from school, I surprisingly saw (gasps) my mom in my dad's study room. They were arguing fiercely with each other. When are you going to tell them that they weren't swapped? What? I pushed open the door and burst in, startling them both. They had no choice but to confess the truth. Turns out, because Kim's dad wanted to teach his daughter how to behave and spend money properly, he asked my mom to let me stay at his mansion in exchange for a huge amount of money. Feeling betrayed and disrespected, I packed up my things and left his mansion immediately despite Kim's attempts to call me multiple times. I left without contacting anyone for a day and stayed at the subway station at night. Just my luck, from a distance, I saw Tim approaching me with a baseball bat. Gotcha. Finally left alone without those annoying bodyguards. You humiliated me in front of everyone. Saying that, that douchebag rushed towards me and I could only pray for a miracle. And it happened. Kim appeared out of nowhere and used her saber to disarm him. Knowing better than anyone what a fearsome swordsman his ex was, he immediately ran away. Kim then turned to me. Are you okay? Why did you save me? Aren't you angry that I was an imposter who stole your life? Kim shook her head and smiled. Honestly, at first, I was afraid that everyone would love you more and abandon me. But you kindly reached out to me, even taught me how to be grateful for what I have. So stay with me, Emily. With that, we happily (laughs) hugged each other. Since then, Kim and I have become soulmates. Kim's dad and my mom apologized to us for hiding everything, then helped us start over. Everything is so much better now!
4: It's not about the money. Yeah, right. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm 17 years old, and I work three jobs, and I'm also a student. I do everything in my life for money. Of course, a lot of people say it's not about the money, but that's said by those who have it. I can't boast about that. I grew up in an average family. We had an average income until my father left us, found some young girl and rode off into the sunset, and me and my mom were left with rent, debt, credit, and no dollar in our pockets. Not fun, huh? Anyway, after my dad left, I was 10 years old at the time, my mom started working any job she could get just to pay off her debts and feed me. My mother married my father young, so she didn't have time to get an education or any kind of profession. She scrubbed floors and worked part-time as a waitress in a cheap diner, a laundress. My mother tried to do everything so that I did not need anything, and from me required only to study well and be obedient. At school, I was often teased because I didn't dress fashionably. We just didn't have the opportunity to buy me nice things. Most of the time, I wore what my mother brought from a second-hand shop. But I tried to study hard so I could start earning a lot in the future. I made it my goal to get rich by any means. Later in high school, I learned how to sew, hem, and decorate my clothes. I sat and sewed all night long. Everyone began to notice how I dressed more fashionably and tastefully. I even began to think about working as a model. My dream was to create clothes, for my collections to be exhibited in Milan. But my dreams didn't come true. My mother was diagnosed with a terrible brain tumor. Mom couldn't work anymore. Her condition was getting worse and worse. To pay for the expense of treatment, I began to work several jobs. And at the same time, at night, I sewed clothes to order. I was not ashamed of any work. At first, when my mother first got sick, I started to replace her at her jobs. Then I started working there instead of her. Mom felt guilty that I had to skip school to earn money. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. I'll get better soon, and you can go back to school, and you will become the most recognized fashion designer. Sure, Mom, but first, you need to get better. I'll still make it. I'm so sad that you have to take care of me. Oh, Mom, stop it. I love you, and I'll do anything to make you well again. Once again, while looking for another part-time job, I came across an ad to come up with work uniforms for Sparks employees. I had heard that it was a very large company that dealt in real estate, automobiles, construction, and more. I immediately sent in my work and resume. If I got it, good. And if not, then, oh well. The answer came just a couple of days later. Dear Rose Priestley, We are pleased to announce that you have been selected for the competition on your application. Congratulations, you have passed the first round. For the second round, we are waiting for you in our office. I couldn't believe my luck. If I got this job, then this payment would be enough even to pay for my mother's surgery. At the appointed time, I went to the company's office. I was escorted into the interview room. A young man of about 25 was already waiting there. It was strange. Such a young man, and he was already entrusted with such a serious task? Hello, Miss Rose. My name is Imon. I'll be interviewing you. How do you do? Nice to meet you. So, tell me, how long have you been making clothes? It's just you're so young. About three years. I started sewing my own clothes when I was 14. Generally, in such a big company, we select professionals with at least 10 years of experience. We can't accept you. You don't even have experience in a similar job. Have you ever done work for another firm? No, but I'm a quick learner and I'm willing to try to do things your way. I I really need this job. I'm sorry, but no, you're rejected. I was so angry. That man didn't even bother to look at my work. He could at least have opened the file in front of him. Then why did you call me for this interview if you weren't happy with my age? The first round was selected by someone else. I'll definitely point out the mistake to him. So my work is a mistake? I'm sure I'll be able to cope with the task at hand. But you're a fool if you judge people's skills by their age. How dare you talk to me like that? Then you've earned it, and I'll say it again. You're an idiot. He looked at me as if he was ready to throw me out the window, but I didn't care. I was so angry, especially since I'd taken a day off from my proper job to go to this damn interview, which meant I lost my pay for the day. This Iman looked so confident and smug that I just couldn't hold my tongue. Because of your stupidity, I lost time and money. If you can't do your job properly, you shouldn't be in your position. His eyes rounded, and I slammed the door and walked out. I went to the hospital to see my mother. I wouldn't have anything to do all day anyway. Mom immediately realized that I was upset about something. Sweetheart, what happened? Did somebody hurt you? No, Mom, everything's okay. I'm just a little tired. I'm sorry. You have nothing to be sorry for. Just get better soon. Then the doctor came into the room and said he wanted to talk to me. He said that if my mom didn't have an operation soon... It would be too late, and the chances of a full recovery would be gone. I began to panic, wondering where to get the money. Even though I was working several jobs, there was no way to save us. Because I was a minor, they would not hire me full-time. I used to go home and cry with such heavy thoughts. It seemed to me that I just couldn't cope with it all. Walking up to the house, I noticed a car parked out front. Yeah. It was impossible not to notice it. It was red, a brand new, foreign car. Only rich people drive those. They got the wrong address, didn't they? Just as I thought this, I saw a man get out of the car. No way! The man standing in front of me was the guy from the interview, Iman. He said, Hi, Rose. Did you change your mind and decide to give it a shot? Well, you said you needed the money. You don't have to feel sorry for me. I just said I needed the job. I'm willing to offer you a deal. I don't understand. I'll pay you 200000 if you play the part of my girlfriend. What the hell are you talking about? Your girlfriend? I'm having a family dinner tomorrow night, and I need to show up with my fiancé. Well, I don't have one, so why don't we help each other out? Are you kidding me? Look, I really need your help. You're beautiful, you're smart, and most importantly, not afraid of me and behave with me confidently. You're a good fit. Here's my card. I expect to hear from you tomorrow morning. He got into his fancy car and drove off, and I was left standing there with my mouth open. I was up all night thinking, 200000 That would be enough to pay for my mother's surgery and treatment. I couldn't earn that much in such a short time, so I decided to take it. In the morning, I dialed Eamon's number and told him my answer. An hour later, a driver picked me up and took me shopping. Mr. Sparks said to pick out an elegant and modest outfit, and also to go to the beauty parlor and fix your hair. Here's the cash. What a bloody arrogant little man! Mr. Sparks? So he's the corporate's heir? And what was wrong with my hair? What can you do? Work is work. That evening, Iman picked me up and took me to a fancy restaurant. His whole family was there. Turns out it was his grandmother's anniversary party. He introduced me to everyone as his fiancée. The evening went smoothly, except for the fact that dozens of eyes were staring at me the whole time. And one girl looked at me as if I'd stolen her money. At the end of the night, Iman came up to me and whispered that we were leaving soon. I breathed a sigh of relief. I just wanted to get the circus over with and go. In the car, I wondered why he was putting on this show. Why do you need all this? My family is pressuring me. They want me to marry Chloe. She's the one that was giving you a death stare. So that's what this was about. I couldn't figure out what I'd done to her. She's my daddy's business partner's daughter. They want to be in-laws, but I don't want to marry her. I don't like her. But now everyone will think that you'll marry someone else. Later, I'll tell them that we broke up and I took our breakup hard. But that's not fair, at least in relation to your grandmother. You're going to teach me morals when you're willing to do anything for money? Look, you got it wrong. I need the money to pay for my mom's surgery. I'm not just after it for nothing. I told him how hard it was for mom when dad left, and about her diagnosis, and about how time was running out. Iman drove me home, and then he asked me to send my sketches to his personal email account, and he said I'd get the money for my help tomorrow. In the morning, I never got the call. I went to the hospital and hoped that that man would keep his word. When I went into the room, my mother wasn't there. I started calling the nurse, screaming and crying. Something bad must have happened. Where's mom? What was going on? A nurse rushed into the room and said that my mother had been rushed away for surgery. It seemed like I waited forever. Then the surgeon came out of the operating room and said that all went well. The tumor had been removed. But now we had a long treatment and recovery. I began to cry for joy. My mother was transferred to a ward. While she was sleeping, I went to her doctor to find out how much we had to pay for the surgery, but he told me that everything had already been paid for, and not just the surgery, but the follow-up care as well. So, Mr. Sparks had kept his word. I told my mother that I'd done a big job and that the payment was enough for the operation. I only hid from her the fact that I had to play the role of this rich guy's fiancé. Mom was discharged in a month. Just in time for my 18th birthday, we ordered a cake, I made lasagna, and then the doorbell rang. When I opened it, I saw a delivery guy handing me a huge bouquet of roses and a card. It said, Dear Miss Rose, I am happy to wish you a happy birthday. I hope your mother is making a speedy recovery. P.S. We're expecting you for an interview on Monday morning at the Sparks office. Also, there is a surprise waiting for you there. Sincerely, A. But that's a whole other story.